Ladies and gentlemen, and low lives. And we're back. We are back. Meatball thoughts. Um, we have a very special guest with us today. Maybe I'm super, super excited. Arguably, if you're in the Toronto food scene, one of the if you have funniest an Instagram and most account, clever. If you've ever cooked in your life, <laughs> just like the most influential Instagrammer and food writer of Toronto for sure. I don't know about that. <laughs> I, <laughs> Ivy Knight. Um, Hi, meatballs. Welcome. It's nice to be here. Thank you for. Um, we, I yeah. mean, uh, just a little backstory to how we kind of started. You and I started um, communicating via the internet. Uh, I think you followed us, and I was so blown away. I was just like, "Oh my goodness!" Like, um, and we obviously both follow your uh, Elise Celine um, account, which is just riddled with hilarious moments. <laughs> Thank um, you. Love anything related to crinkle cut fries. <laughs> yeah but incredible um, industry for those who don't follow the account you should go and do it um uh it's basically it's a, it's a meme account is it not uh is, is it's there a, a meme different account way that you, uh, no it's just it? memes it's just memes um the the conceit is that they're that they're being done by celine dion mm-hmm. um th- actually when i conceived of it i just thought these will be uh memes from celine but uh, it it gradually just sort of morphed into just general memes about the restaurant industry. Mm. And a lot of people are unsure. Actually, a lot of people in the U.S. are unsure how to pronounce it. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like even I just butchered the No, the I th- no, you said, no it's it. okay. Uh, the way I explain it, the way I got the name was uh, the opening of Iron Chef. Is that yes, it? Iron yes, Chef, yes. when he says, Alle Cuisine. Ah, so okay. it's Alle Celine. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. What, um, what's the link between Celine Dion and cooking? There or is there none? No, there isn't one. I just love Celine Dion. And it's hard not to. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to start making some memes that were about the restaurant industry. And um, she... I just wanted her because she's, to me, she's a quintessential rags to riches Canadian mm. story. Yeah. She's French Canadian. I'm French Canadian. And I think, you know, given her, her love of Schwartz's Deli and her love of St. Hubert, mm. then she probably loves crinkle cuts too. So, yeah. I mean, you know. seems, seems like a, like yeah. a no brainer. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you said you're French Canadian. How long have you been in Toronto then for? Where did you grow up here? I I was born I was born in Alert Bay in British Columbia. Mm, cool. And I uh, grew up in Prince Edward Island, and I moved to Toronto on September 11th, the day September 11th became oh, wow. infamous. Shit. 2001, right? Good 2001, times. yes. So I've been here for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, like, obviously, you know, there there's a connection between. Um, you know, like you're saying, it's, there's the food connection. Like, had you always been into food or, or enjoyed writing about it or enjoyed thinking about it? Like, have you, and I guess to go along with that, is it, is it as well? Like, did you spend any time, like an, an extended period of time in and around restaurants? 
when you were growing up or in teenage years or things like that? Um, no, not really. In Prince Edward Island, there's not there's not a very big restaurant culture mm. in PEI. You know, mostly we're having lobster boils at home or with mm. our friends. Restaurants are for tourists. Oh, okay. And a lot of the better restaurants are only open during the tourist season. Mm. So, um, restaurant culture was not part of my life growing up. Um, I got into restaurants relatively late. I was in my 20s when I started working in restaurants. Oh, okay. And I immediately fell in love with it because I loved to party. <laughs> and there was something about the... Just the world of, of the kitchen was so far removed from anything mm. 9 to 5 or anything... I don't know, that was represented in society like as typical, a job. It was typical society. It right? was not a typical job. Yeah, yeah, it was just, you know, a bunch of crazies yeah. doing yeah. crazy stuff, doing like really intense work with food, which I really didn't know anything about. So it was, I fell in love with it immediately. Yeah. So you grew up in the East Coast uh, and you came to Toronto and started working in restaurants once you moved to Toronto? No, no. I started working in restaurants when I was living in Texas. Okay. Yeah, I was living in Vancouver, and then my boyfriend and I, who's now my husband, we moved to Texas, and that's when I started cooking. Mm. In Texas. So what drew you to, to restaurants there? Because it's not the kind of thing that, well. I mean, to Texas, Texas is, there's a religious element to, like, barbecue or things like that. Yeah, I didn't work in barbecue. For, I was no. a pizziolo when I was in Texas. Very cool. It really was just that I had gotten interested in food in Vancouver because... Someone had given me a box of like a year's worth of Martha Stewart living magazines. Mm. <laughs> and I was just this little party animal skid rocker yeah. who I didn't give a shit about Martha. But I started looking at these magazines and I was like, oh, it was so beautiful. Yeah. And the food and the milk glass and all the stuff that she was obsessed with. So I really got into it. And then when I moved to Texas... My boyfriend was working there as a rowing coach, so I wasn't working legally. Mm. And I thought, oh, I could just go work in a kitchen. That's like stereotypically a place that you could work under the table. Yeah. Uh, did it Did it end up like, like obviously pulled you in a little bit, and you're not even a little bit, quite a lot of it, but um, like moving out once you once you left Texas, was there like a... Was there like a yearning to get back to that kind of a feeling or was it was back it into just, the restaurant industry? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, as soon as I started in a kitchen, I was that was it. You're just like, oh, this is my shit. I'm trying to think how it worked. I think what happened was my first kitchen was in Kingston, Ontario, but I was in Texas and I was trying to find a job under the table, and it wasn't happening because I didn't know anybody. Mm -hmm. So yeah. nobody's going to hire someone they don't know. Yeah. Like, I had no in. So my husband, well, at the time he was my boyfriend, he had worked at a place in Kingston called Shea Piggy. Mm -hmm. So when he went to Queens, he I've worked there. there. Yeah. Have you? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he called the chef and said, my girlfriend wants to learn how to cook. And we're in Texas, and he was going into his busy rowing season, so she said, send her out here, we'll put her in a house with some Queen students, and she can work here for the summer. Right on. Wow. 
So that's what I did, and it was like the most fun ever. For like, I think I made twelve dollars for the whole season. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, it was End up so partying much fun. away the rest of it. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. great. Wow. Had those seasons. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, I mean, what? Hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I have a couple questions. Just mostly about. Um, we are like so nervous to have you here. I know. Like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm trying so to. Why I'm trying to get the. Nervous? Tr- why? I don't get it. That's so weird. It, it I'm is just strange. Some broke I mean, I guess, writer. I guess I'm, I'm so, um, I'm just always enamored by most of your your posts and things like that and they're always very thoughtful it seems you, um, you've summed up how we all feel so so beautifully means. and so so accurately <laughs> in, Legit, in, in your Aliceline, uh, uh account it's 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 incredible well, so I, i'm blown nice. away that you know i was expecting maybe somebody that was you know uh, uh grew up with like a chef dad and was born into uh, the the intimacy that you have with the the restaurant industry is is so crazy and i mean i guess at this point you've been in in it for a while Uh, i have well i cooked on the line for 10 years Hmm. and i don't know the number of hours that malcolm gladwell says you have to have Ten thousand. i don't know if i got ten thousand hours but probably and then i've been writing about it Hmm. ever since so what pulled you towards the writing element of it? Was it just you kind of burned well, I, yourself out and you're like, fuck kitchens, but no, I still no. love food? or No, I had always been a writer, but I just was a writer that didn't know what I wanted to do. Oh, okay. What kind yeah. of things were you writing about before? Oh, I was just food? writing ridiculous shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're in your 20s. I don't know how old you guys are. 30. Yeah, 26. 30? 30. Yeah, so I I was, you know, in my 20s and just writing, like, I wrote crazy stuff. I wrote, I guess, at the time, I didn't know what fan fiction was, but I was writing some, some like, gay fan fiction about Troy Aikman, because I was in love with him, and I thought it would be great if he was actually gay, and it would help the people of Texas learn to be more accepting. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. I I love that. (laughs) <laughs> I wrote a lot of weird shit like that. It didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And then I was cooking here in Toronto in year five of my cooking life. Mm. And we had just had the worst fucking service ever. It was just everything that could go wrong had gone wrong. It was so demoralizing. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah. That yeah. happens. I've had too many of those. <laughs> yeah. So it was the end of the night and we were closing down. And I was really upset and pissed off. And I was complaining. About what stu- some of the stuff that had happened. Mm-hmm. Can you Am say I- where you were working at the time? No, it doesn't matter. Doesn't it's matter. just, fuck, it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> uh, and my chef said, like, just shut up. We don't need to hear it. We're already, you know, we're destroyed by the night, so just shut up about it. Yeah. And I was like, I'm so sick of this business and blah, blah, blah. I'm so sick of all this stuff. And he said, look, I don't want to hear it. What You say that you're a writer. Stop <laughs> I forget what he, he said. Stop writing about people jousting with their dicks. <laughs> <laughs> and write about uh, restaurants. Why don't yeah. you write all the stuff you're complaining about the restaurant industry? Mm. It's all true. Write about it. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think that I could. Yeah. I thought if you were going to write about food, you had to be wealthy and have spent a lot of time in Paris and all this stuff. You know, I didn't know that me, a line cook, could... Do such a thing. Just jump into that world. Yeah. Yeah. So he said, just do it. So I did. And it didn't, uh, 
who are some of the some of the publications that you first were able to get into when you're writing about it? Well, here's the thing: you can't just say, "Yeah, I'm going to be a food writer," and then you just waltz into food and wine. It doesn't happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I said. I said, yes, I'm going to do this. So I put together a portfolio of some writing. Like I wrote a restaurant review and I wrote a little essay and I forget what else. And I, and the biggest food writer in Toronto at the time was James Chatto. Mm -hmm. So he was doing a book launch and I went to his play. uh, I went to the book launch and I waited to talk to him and I had my little portfolio in paper and I said, hi. I'm a line cook, and I want to become a writer, and I'm, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to hand this to you and see what you have to say. And wow. He was like, yeah, I'll take a look at it. I'll let you know. Was it all erotica fan fiction? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. But the essay did touch on uh, how to t- like something about how to tell if your server has stayed up all night doing coke. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That kind of shit was always there. It hits those notes. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he emailed me the next day and said, "Yeah, you're talented. Let me introduce you to some editors." So I thought I was set. I wanted to quit my job. I was ready, but I I wasn't able to quit my job for five years. So. (laughs) So anyway, he helped me. He introduced me to some editors. I wrote for free for about two years. Everything I wrote was pretty bad. Luckily, that was for a website that doesn't exist anymore. So yeah. it's like, yay! <laughs> Nobody can yeah. track that shit down. Was that in the the height of the like Bourdain era of um, the underground restaurant community sort of coming to light in through through writing? Is that? Yeah, when I started any... cooking, I don't know when Kitchen Confidential was published, but I remember reading it in Texas. Me and two others in the kitchen had the book at the same time, and we were just, we were just like, totally blown away by it. It was amazing. How is this shit so goddamn accurate? Like, yeah. How does he know? Yeah. Right. And And how is it in a book? Because you know, the 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 restaurant community has been like that, and it's been alive, and the stories have been passed along. But it's always been at bars and parties. It's it's never been in a a a hardcover book or in a newspaper. the, the food writing that, that kind of before Bourdain that existed was so, you know, like, like you were saying, it's rich white people talking about. And it was elevated in France. Yeah. Like I remember reading Jacques Pepin's uh, memoir. I forget what it's called. It's really good. It's really beautiful, mm-hmm. but it's like the man himself. It's not dirty. You know, it's, it's kind of, even the horrible experiences are kind of beautiful in like a Truffaut film or something. But yeah. Bourdain was like, oh my God, this is so fucking real. This is like as disgusting as my life actually is. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was exciting. So yeah, he, I definitely looked up to him when I started wow. writing about food. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's there's a good, even in our generation, like I'm not sure how old you are. By no stretch of the imagination do you have to say. But uh, I mean, for our generation, it's definitely like a lot of people I have idolized yeah, that, I, I that style think... or that that level of honesty, like is there? I probably I, like I don't even kitchens without without his books. What do you think about him now, and his? Um, uh, uh, how does his writing hold up today in the uh, in the world that we live in now? For, for me, 
in the past couple years, I don't love it the same way I used to. Uh, it feels... I don't even know how it feels, but there's something almost... Um, when I read books like Kitchen Confidential or... Uh, uh, what was the other one? Uh, Medium Rare. Mm -hmm. uh, Medium Raw. Medium Raw. That was it. That was it. Yeah, thank you. Um, I hosted his book launch for Medium Raw. Very cool. Get the fuck yes. out. Very really? Cool. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But yes, listen, please. so your question, how does it hold up? Here's the thing. With Bourdain, I fell in love with him because of the, like, swearing yeah. and the badassery yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. But the love, like, grew because of the talent behind all of that. Mm -hmm. Because if all you have is swearing, uh, your writing doesn't, it's just, it's, it doesn't work. It's no good. Um, you have to be very, if you're going to use a swear word, you have to know what you're doing. And he really did. There's but a lot of his writing is dated because it's like, it's, it's another time. It is a different time. Mm. And I don't know. I think the reason that Bourdain's work is still valuable, the written word, because the television stuff obviously was like a whole different era of his yeah, career. Yeah, yeah. I like him more in that. Yes. Honest. Well, he evolved. Yeah. But the written work is still valuable, I think, because we can see, we can look at his whole life. Unfortunately, we can look at his whole life because yeah. it ended. Uh, yeah. But we get to see what he chose to do when he found out that his best friends and that so many people he had become famous with or helped to become famous, when he found out that they were rapists and yeah. abusers... Mm. And stealing tip money from busboys and all of that stuff. He didn't stay silent and he didn't pretend it wasn't happening. Yeah. He called them out. And so maybe some of the writing is dated and you're like, oh, does he ever, ever talk to a woman in any of these stories? But, <laughs> yeah. but, it, but it's like you can take it with a grain of salt because, you know, yeah. it's from a time and a place. Mm -hmm. It couldn't really have been written any other way because that's just the way the world was. Yeah. But we got to see him evolve. Mm -hmm. And he was the first big name that I know of who publicly called Weinstein a rapist before anybody else in Hollywood would. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So I think, wow. yeah, his... you know, he, he preserved his legacy because he grew so much and was public yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. So I love him. Well, there's if that's not, not I obvious. Mean, yeah. yeah well, no, 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 we I can, mean, we can feel I it. think... Uh, yeah, I think there's there's just an overwhelming joy for what the man gave to food. Yeah. Like, he was just, he, it was all and everything. And like you're saying, you could see the evolution. You see, you know, Kitchen Confidential was this raw, all-passion, very, like, still elegant in how he cursed in the book and, and, and how he formed it. And then it became this, you know, later on he was, instead of addicted to drugs and and all that jazz, he became like addicted to jujitsu and like, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and just like clean it is living. It's evolution. Yeah. It's yeah. wild. I mean, I, that he went through. Yeah. by any, no stretch of the imagination are we ever trying to say, throw shade on his name. I mean, certainly, yeah, like, like you said, it was a time. It was that time and take it with a, a grain or a, mit, or a mitt full of salt. And it's, and if he had stayed that way. Yeah. And never changed. And yeah. if his TV shows had been that, he wouldn't have the legacy he has. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I think he's a great example for any young cook, because anybody who works in kitchens can appreciate Kitchen Confidential. 
yeah. regardless of yeah. the time. Yeah. And yeah. then you can see, you don't have to stay this. Look at how you can grow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but you hosted his, like, you're, you said before, you hosted his uh, Medium Raw book launch in Toronto. I did. Like, what what was it like being around, I imagine you're around him in person for a good chunk of time. Like, was that, was, was his energy just very, I mean, obviously, maybe there wasn't a camera on him at the time or something like that, but I imagine it was relatively consistent to what, all the nice things yeah, we fake? just said is he, about is, him. Is, is he who he is? Yeah, he is who he is. Yeah. Good, good, he good. is. And I've interviewed him a number of times and been around him in a number of situations. And he's an authentic guy, partly perhaps because he was unknown for so long. Like, he just was living his life until mm-hmm. his late 40s or 50s. I'm not sure. Yeah, when he yeah. when he mid, when, mid to late forties, yeah. Yeah, so I think he had a pretty solid sense of self before mm. fame hit him, which also speaks to how he was able to grow. Mm. But so the book launch, I'll just quickly tell you. He didn't have any interest in having a private book launch. I wanted to host this event for him. He was already coming to Toronto for whatever a tour for that medium raw book, yeah. and. Uh, I had a connection at HarperCollins, and I was working my tail off to try to get Bourdain's people to agree to a private event for industry mm-hmm. for him. So he wasn't interested because he, his people and him thought that I was trying to do something like private for wealthy fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So You're eventually... Like, no, I want it for the no. lowlifes, man. Like, yeah. all the degenerates that, like, have so bought I'm... multiple <laughs> copies of this guy's book, like... So I was able to finally make that clear that it was for like cooks and dishwashers and whatever. And then he said, yeah, sure. So then the night of the event, um, the guest list was 50-50, 50% industry people and 50% whoever else could get an invite. Yeah. So there were some wealthy folks swanning around, but it was great seeing people there and I, my, I had a plan for how the signing was going to go, mm-hmm. that I was going to ask all the industry folks to line up first because I wanted them to have the first chance. So I was going to, oh, I went over to him to tell him this. And he said, listen, when you announce the signing, I don't want to sign for anybody except all the cooks. Tell them to line up first. And I was like, oh my God, mind melt. Yeah. yeah. So it was wonderful. So then... We got everyone to line up, and I just stood there watching all these cooks, all these servers, all these bartenders, people that I've known and worked with. Mm. And not everyone cried, but so many people (laughs) cried or teared up talking to him. It was beautiful. It was a great night. Wow. It sounds like a hell of an experience Mm -hmm. just to be around that, that kind of energy. And like you're saying, just like, okay, great, we're both on the same page here. Let's get these people who clearly are here for the exact reason you want them to be here for. Well, that's beautiful. Are there other people other than Bourdain that have, like, been really inspiring to you and foundational to the, you know, to your writing or to your, uh, the person you are now? Other yeah. Other than Celine Dion, I imagine? Well, Celine, you know, she's a big one. She's your guardian uh, angel. <laughs> <laughs> she is my guardian angel. Um... You know, the the Canadian trifecta of 
Celine, Shania, and Anne Murray. That's like you know yeah. they're they're the top ladies of of Canada. But in writing, I definitely look up to Bourdain's writing, and um, you've caught me like at a loss. I'm actually just drawing a blank completely. Cause I, cause we've just been talking about Bourdain for so long. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, so, I haven't talked about him in a while. It's, I think about him every time I go grocery shopping. There's a big um, uh, painting of him, and uh, uh, I think it was, I think it's the cover of Kitchen Confidential that's um, painted on Bomer. Uh, you know that oh, restaurant yes. over there? Yeah. Right on the side. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I, sh- I should go back and read his books. It's been, it's been a while. What I was saying before, not to shit on him but when I read his books now it seems too glorifying of all the things that I think the industry is trying to move past now all the drugs all the misconduct uh, to put it broadly it's he does glorify it he's he's proud of it and he's proud that to be part of that that culture but I guess you know at the time he had to Nobody was reading about it. Nobody was writing about it. So he had to he had to get it out there. And that's just and it's exciting to, it. to be the first person really to be writing about it. Yeah, it's the fir- it's exciting to be the first group of people reading about it. But then it gets very tired. Hmm. You know the trope of the blitzed out chef or coked up chef or all of that stuff is so old now but at the there was a time when it was really new yeah yeah. (laughs) and it was exciting and like the whole gordon ramsay being a prick was like oh how crazy and now it's just like oh it's so tired and now he's doing tiktoks with his daughter and yeah yeah even even he's grown past that yeah so it's just i mean what year did kitchen confidential come out i don't know to the internet 90 98 no kitchen confidential here we go I'm like, I mean, hmm. does it, um, it is 2000, 2000, 2000. Yeah. Um, so it's 20 years. That's a long time. This, yeah. You know, that's two, two decades. I mean, he's definitely the, that book and has definitely pushed I think a lot of those issues certainly helped raise them to the front so that, we, so that the regular society could be like, oh, you guys are doing this while you're cooking my food? Like, maybe <laughs> maybe we can help you change some of those things. I mean, even as far as, like, the, you know, the inappropriate, inappropriate speech or actions or, um, you know, like you're saying, to put a lot of that in broad strokes, it's just... I, I, I don't know. I, I like I like how uncomfortable it made it. Like, not maybe uncomfortable is the wrong word, but it's it, it made it this thing that we need to address, and we need to address it because without that, we're just going to be stuck in those ages of debauchery and, and inappropriate behavior. Yeah. Um, and as we've seen over the last year, especially, that inappropriate behavior didn't go away. It's mm-hmm. still there. Um, yeah. The people, you know... I guess people in the industry, when they're being interviewed by food media, know better how to compose themselves, what to hide. But I mean, what happens behind the closed doors of a kitchen hasn't changed all that much. Yeah. And that was always clear to me, but it, it became clear to the general population 
in the last few years, I mean, Batali's uh, unveiling, yeah. that helped a bit. Yeah. But the pandemic really helped because so many people lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. And that helped enormously because there's no fear they, they weren't fired. scared. Yeah. They were like, yeah. fuck it, the whole industry's tanked. Yeah, yeah. I'm we fucked. Literally, we literally just lost 40% of all of our restaurants, or all of the restaurants, rather, depending on what city you live in, but... So it just, it, yeah. I, it freed people to say enough is enough and to call it out. And I remember in the, in the summer, last summer, just seeing Instagram accounts being bombarded with former employees, like we saw it with Fat Rice in Chicago with empl- mm-hmm. former employees, just saying, no, fuck this. This is what's actually going on. Yeah. yeah. Not waiting for... Uh, a, a newspaper expose or yeah. not waiting for a human rights yeah, tribunal like, let's go let's take action man like you guys are it's all smoke and mirrors right now we're not fucking having it yeah yeah that's awesome that's i mean some, well that's right. not awesome but like i mean on that note it's like up about it yes what, yeah. what do you like obviously you've been following food writing about food you've been around food for a long period of time like is there what what's something else that you think is good is going to come out of like this whole shit show in the past, you know, 13 months that's, that's taken place with COVID. Like, is there, um, I mean, we should mention, obviously we're all masked up to, you know, safety yeah. first, then teamwork. Um, yeah. but it's, uh, like, is there something else that you're like, okay, great. This is going to come out of this. Or uh, you see the steps being taken towards like paid sick days or, um, you know, just, just like just general or maybe like the government starts to subsidize some kind of a benefits program for people that don't have it. Well, it's like, yeah, all of these things that you're saying that when I started and I'm 46. So mm-hmm. when I started cooking to, to even mention paid sick days would have got you laughed out of the kitchen. Like, right. just forget it. That If you have a broken arm, you still come into work. That's just the way it is. Yeah. So. There are so many things, and we don't need to list them here, that are unfair or wrong or stupid mm-hmm. or backwards or old-fashioned about kitchens and restaurants and how they're run. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic and, and the shit show that has been 2020 has allowed people and powerless employees to sort of just put their feet down. And social media has allowed them to get the message out. So there will be change. I don't know that it will be sweeping, but there will be change, especially within independent restaurants where, you know, the person who owns the place says, I don't want this kind of an environment. So whoever's in charge dictates the culture of the kitchen and the whole restaurant. So if the chef is an ass-grabbing maniac then that's allowed in the restaurant. And that's just the way it is. And you you hide it from the customers, but it exists. Yeah. So if the chef is against ass-grabbing, then it doesn't happen in the restaurant. So, and I think a lot of independents feel more powerful after this year than they've ever felt because they've gone through hell. They've had to lose most of their staff. They've had to switch all of their beautiful menus to take out all this stuff yeah and they've survived for those who have survived so i feel like they probably are feeling now like i can do fucking anything 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's go, baby. Bring it on. Yes. And I just survived a year making on barely any money with barely any staff with barely any sleep. So I'm going to find a way to be, give my staff, you know, normal working hours. Mm. Yeah. There are ways to do that. Or I'm going to make sure that nobody uses racial jokes or rape jokes in my kitchen. Mm. That doesn't cost anything. It's easy to implement. Right. Yeah. It's just, no, so there's, there's a lot of ways to change the culture and it literally doesn't I've been writing about this kind of stuff for years yeah. it literally doesn't cost anything yeah. but the leaders who are doing it and have been doing it for a long time that I know of are all women mm. and uh, who are some of those people well I wrote an article for Vice I think it was in 2019 that was specifically about this subject and I highlighted Amanda Cohen at Dirk Candy yep. in New York, yep. Jen Ag here in Toronto, yep. a couple in New Orleans, Pim in San Francisco, and there might have been one other. But I'm not saying it's gender specific, but it is. Uh, the perpetrators have been uh, of one. Well, the perpetrators, yeah. yes, <laughs> like, for sure. Like, as no. far as I know, I mean, I had to. I had to take a hard look at my writing a few years ago. I said, I need to change this and I need to cover more women in the industry. And it wasn't a hard thing to do. It was a conscious thing to do. It required more work. You know, if you're going to write a story about San Francisco and you... Google who are the top chefs in San Francisco, if you don't already know, most of the list will be men, or it would yeah. be five years ago. Any any city in the world. So you have to look, and you have yeah. to find, mm-hmm. you have to find other people to represent. And when I changed who I was writing about, and opened it up more, it sort of, it just like, I had, before that, I had just been part of a machine like I had been part of a machine in a kitchen mm. where you're part of a machine and shit goes on that would not be accepted in a law office or an accounting office or yeah. a fucking gas station, but it's not, it's acceptable in a kitchen. Yeah. So I never questioned it. I was just as bad because I was taught that's how you acted. Mm. And I never questioned it. And then when I got into food writing, I was so excited to be writing and then writing for Vice and writing for um, these different publications, it was so exciting. So I just, I didn't question it. It was like, obviously I'm going to cover these specific yeah, um, white um, chefs in Montreal, these yeah. white male chefs in Montreal, these specific white men in Toronto, etc. Yeah. And it just was uh, really eye-opening to, to say no to that and step back from it mm-hmm. and think about what I was doing instead of just blindly moving ahead what was the response like from your editors and the people who are in charge of you know uh either yang or name what what you write about i don't know is that how it works well really it comes down to your pitch so if your pitch isn't strong enough it doesn't matter who you're right. featuring yeah mm-hmm. but i never had anyone come back to me and say this needs to have more big names in it or this need I don't you know you need more white men in your company. yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. nobody said that yeah. nobody said that and when me too started happening I had 
a, a writer friend who had written about someone, a man, and they were worried and said, I, I worry that this story is going to come out and then we'll find out stuff about this guy. Mm-hmm. And I will have written this glowing thing about him, but I don't know how to investigate, really. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and, and you have to understand, in food writing, if you're writing a story, you're not... Especially if you're freelance, you're not given a million dollar budget. You're not given research assistance. Yeah. yeah. So it's like all this shit you're gonna have to dig up yourself and you'd have to find dig it up yourself. And, and maybe you just don't have the chops to do that, or maybe you don't have the time, whatever. So I was thinking, how do you get around this? And the best way to get around it is to make sure the person you're writing about isn't a rapist. And the best way I know to make sure the person I'm writing about isn't a rapist, is to make sure it's a woman. Yeah. Because <laughs> women aren't rapists. Brilliant, yeah. yeah. And anybody who's going to disagree with me on that can fuck right. off. It's, yeah. like, it's like, get fucked, and like you don't need to talk to that person. It's just like... Wow. Or maybe not you don't need to talk to them, but certainly they have yeah. a very closed-minded view of the world. And so... Uh, the, the 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 moral of, of the story is that um, uh, men in the restaurant industry uh, uh, need to be uh, well have are not worthy of our trust because you know in the past ten years it's come to light that they're all behaving like pigs so basically the the only people that that we can really uh, uh, trust and celebrate are are the women in I mean the even industry, even which, for for uh, us like. Think that was that was one of the biggest things when I started the podcast. I thought about first. I was like, I want to talk to Olivia Go. Uh, I have a friend Sonia Mondino. We've had um, yeah. like uh, my friend Taya. Like we we've always. I'm just like okay. What women can I talk to? And certainly it's it's relatively easy for for me to you know call up uh, a guy friend of mine and be like, hey man, like come sit down, let's yeah. shoot the shit. But it I'm like okay, who do I who do I want to bring light to and who who do I feel as a valuable (laughs) just like it's just better conversation and it's like well I I I want to interject I mean I don't believe in in criminalizing anybody Mm -hmm. I'm just saying except for rapists well of course (laughs) but I'm not going to say that and I'm not going to get into a not all men yeah yeah yeah, we don't we don't need to go there but but I'm just saying like that if you have a kitchen that's mm. problematic, look at who's in charge. Yeah. Look at who's in the you know. Look at who's in the crew. Are there any women? Do you have any women in positions of power? Because that can help change things. It's like, what's the thing if you have a fish tank and it's getting all fucked up? You have to put in certain fish to make sure that the water works and that the yeah yeah those little shark things that suck onto the side yeah. of the tanks yeah. So yeah. I'm just, like, I remember a chef telling me that he always made sure he had a balance of men, men and women in the kitchen. Mm. Because he said if there aren't enough women in a kitchen, it really gets fucked up. Mm. And it does. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not saying, you know, food media should never profile a man. or Because I still write about men in the business. And I write about women. I write about everybody. But you have to look for balance and... You have to try to not just continue on blindly. And I don't think anybody is or can after what we've been through in the last year. Right. 
And if, because, and if they are, then it's just like, that's just willful ignorance. Yeah. It's just... Yeah, it's just, you know, in kitchens we say just put your head down. Yeah. Head down and get it done. And there, there was a lot of put your head down with me too. I know. There were a lot of chefs who were basically saying like, I can't wait for this to be over because I don't want to hear it anymore. We just, you know, just want this to pass. But it doesn't go away. No. And we saw with Black Lives Matter over the summer that we didn't solve racism with anything that we had in the past. Mm-hmm. It's here. Canada, certainly, we we may have been ignorant enough to think we don't really have a racist problem, but we know now yeah. that that's yeah. not the case. Yeah. It sounds ridiculous to be saying this. But it really, there really was a lot of blindness until we experienced what we experienced yeah. last summer. Well, and, and it's important. It's like, we've all said this numerous times, but it's like, it's the repetition, man. You gotta, you gotta keep saying it. It's not like you have to keep saying it to irritate somebody or, or try and frustrate somebody, but it's... It's not the kind of thing that's going to get solved in, in one, in one yeah. moment, in one movement. Or yeah. just because you post a black square on Instagram. <laughs> right, right, right. It means yeah. that it's okay. Racism it's like, no, over. man, you need to be cognizant of it and, yeah. and move forward. And, and work on it. It's not... Yeah. I mean, um, we, we know you got a boogie. Um, well, I want to say something. Yeah, yeah please, because, please do. Because some people might re- recall that before the pandemic, mm-hmm. the biggest issue that restaurants were facing all over the world was a labor shortage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There was a huge labor shortage for like five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you couldn't find cooks in this city. People yeah, were out and of work he, like they used to. Well, yeah, this was the, that was what was being said. Yeah. That yeah. this generation doesn't want to work, but that wasn't it. Yeah. It was this generation came in and saw what it was like and said, no fucking way. Yeah. My generation came in and saw what it was like and was like, sure, fine, whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, so, I was on the tail end of that too. Yeah. I was like, okay, if this is what I got to do. We just accepted okay. it and that's those were the times. But that changed. And that's why we had a labor shortage because people, the young people coming in who would be the next generation of cooks and chefs mm-hmm. and servers and bartenders and all of them just said, no way am I putting up with this shit. Yeah. So... The issues that have been brought up since the pandemic have been around for a long time. And the people who want to keep their head down and not change or not talk about it or not engage are going to find an industry moving on without them. Because if you're you're young and you own a restaurant, you're not going to allow that shit to happen. And if you're young and you want to work in a restaurant, you won't work in restaurants like that. You'll only Mm -hmm. go to the ones... Yeah. That are evolved, that yeah. are new school, that have changed. Paying, paying their staff a living wage. Yeah. 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 I mean, obviously, that's a very chop in the bucket, but yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you think... Why do you think that is? Why are, why are the, the 20-year-olds or the people entering the restaurant industry now, why are they not accepting what has been accepted by all the other generations? The internet. Yeah. Do you think, do you think <laughs> social media? Everyone, do you, well, you're yeah. able to communicate. Hey, this is bullshit. And you can like, see. What, why are we? Why are we letting this see. slide? Yeah, yeah, you can see so much more that couldn't be seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I couldn't see what was in a kitchen until I was in it. Yeah. 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 You didn't know what that environment was until you were immersed in it. Yeah. Yeah. And there was something about it that I liked. And the brutality I didn't love, but it was just part and parcel mm-hmm. of the yeah. package. And to think that. 
the fun parts of being in the kitchen could be it could happen in an environment without the brutality and anger and fear like the fear i used to have going into shifts dude fuck <sighs> like pete like nine heart palpitations like like... nine to fivers talk about the sunday scaries like t no 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 the going into a saturday night service uh, scaries are unbelievable you know, I, I might have a heart attack tonight <laughs> yeah yeah i remember having that specific thought of just like i might like this could hurt physically well, the pressure of <laughs> the job and the insanity of service mm -hmm. is already enough. Mm -hmm. But the looming thought of being attacked physically or verbally yeah. in the middle of the most <laughs> stressful time of your shift, yeah. right. that was always there. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that restaurants will change because they're not going to have any fucking workers if yeah. they don't. Yeah, serves them right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I've said it before, I'm, that's why I'm so happy to be where I'm, like, I work at uh, White Lily Diner uh, in the East End, and, like, we're paid above minimum wage where we don't work more than eight hours, eight, maybe nine hours some days, but, like, it's, they're, they're it's like, care of you. yeah, they're it's like, hey, of... cool, you're here, but also, like, have a life outside of work and have hobbies and have these things that you can do. Like, we don't want you here 13 hours a day that's... 13, 14, 15 hours a day. Like, there's yeah. a quality of life that is important. And yeah. White Lily Diner makes the best meatloaf. Oh, my God. Still on the menu. So good. You'll have to come and get one. Yeah. Maybe a donor or two for you and your man. Yeah. Um, like we said, uh, you got to get out of here. But typically at the end of an episode, uh, we give a shout-out or two to local restaurants or any restaurant. Is there a restaurant lately? Or anything food? industry related to yeah. if there's writers or you know other stuff that you wanted to share. anybody out that before. you're uh excited to to be reading or eating or anything like that well right now i just want to talk about some of my favorite restaurants in the city oh yeah. yes because i've been shooting a documentary with a friend of mine oh shit that we started shooting in march 2020 and we're wrapping up shooting this spring amazing so i just want to talk about some of the best awesome people that have been involved in it who we've been following over the course of the year. Yes, please. And who I knew before but didn't know as well as I know now and having seen them go through what they've gone through and eaten a lot of their food has been really amazing. So uh, Samira and her siblings at Banu on Queen mm -hmm. West. That's an amazing Persian restaurant that everyone should check out. Anna Chen and her crew at Alma on Lansdowne. Yes. Anna is like Toronto's secret weapon. You know, she came from Sousser. She survived fucking Sousser, first of all. I cooked with her at Grace back in the day, and it was just, I was like, you're four foot nothing, and you're just like, it's a tornado that you're just like, there's no way I can keep up with this woman ever. Like, it's it's a mate. She is a G. I love her to death. Sorry. She's incredible. No, she's incredible. And uh, Alita Solomon at Tutimati downtown. Yes. That is probably the best Italian restaurant in the city, and it's been around for 18 years. Yeah. And Ali at uh, General Assembly Pizza, another guy who like realized his dream of having a, <laughs> a pizza place and then almost lost it, but turned it into a frozen pizza empire. Nice. And his pizzas are amazing. And um, Kate and Julio. Yes. 
who are opening their first place with Maddie yep, Matheson yep, yep. later this spring. And uh, so, yeah, those are all the shout-outs. Also, Gen Egg, because, like, some of the best food I've had during quarantine has been from yeah. Bar Vendetta. Okay. Yes. Right. And Jen has just been... Like, she does a lot of work for this industry for free. Yeah, she, she calls shit out that nobody else would. And we owe her a great debt. So, she's amazing. Amazing. Um, awesome. Oh, this, uh, this food documentary, can you tell us where it's going to be visible? Or is it still too early? It's still too early. Okay. 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 Yeah. okay. No. But, but it's called we're... All Day. All Day. All Day. Yeah. Sweet. Amazing. Um, maybe, maybe once it comes out, we can we can have you come back in and and tell us all about it once that happens. But um, yeah, that's exciting. Uh, sure. We really, really appreciate you coming in to chat with us. Um, I know this is like for me personally when it it was yeah, uh, I was such a such an excited moment. Peak I was of the mountain. like jittered. Um, you guys we, need to get out more. Yeah, man. We're <laughs> like quarantine fucking sucked. Um, <laughs> um, yes. Thank you very much. Uh, we really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you very much. This has been fun. And uh, bye, everybody. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening. As always, if you have any comments or concerns, please hit us up at MeatballThoughts on Instagram or email MeatballThoughts at gmail.com. We love you and appreciate your support. Bye for now.